Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's turn to Micah chapter 1. Micah chapter 1. It's just after Jonah, right? It's just before what book? Nice job. Yes. Nahum. All right. So we're going to read. I'm going to read the whole first chapter. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. The word of the Lord which came to Micah of Morasheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, who he, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, O peoples, all of you, listen, O earth, and all it contains. And the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming forth from his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will be split like wax before the fire, like water poured down a steep place. All this is for the rebellion of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? For I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the open country, planting places for a vineyard. I will pour her stones down into the valley and will lay bare her foundations. All of her idols will be smashed. All of her earnings will be burned with fire. And all of her images I will make desolate, for she has collected them from a harlot's earnings and to the earnings of a harlot they will return. Because of this, I must lament and wail. I must go barefoot and naked. I must make a lament like the jackals and a mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable. For it has come to Judah, it has reached the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. At Beth le Afra. Roll yourself in dust. Go on your way, inhabitant of Saphir, in shameful nakedness. The inhabitant of Zanon does not escape. The lamentation of Beth Ezel, he will take from you its support. For the inhabitant of Maroth becomes weak, waiting for good, because a calamity has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the chariot to the team of horses, O inhabitant of Lachish. She was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, because in you were found the rebellious acts of Israel. Therefore you will give parting gifts on behalf of Morasheth Gath. The houses of Akzeb will become a deception to the kings of Israel. Moreover, I will bring on you the one who takes possession, O inhabitants of Merishah. The glory of Israel will enter Agilum. Make yourself bald and cut off your hair because of the children of your delight. Extend your baldness like the eagle, for they will go from you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we come to this passage, that you have inspired and that you spoke through your prophet many centuries ago, 
Father, that we would be fed by it and that we would be strengthened and we would be warned and we would be built up. Father, we know that all scripture is inspired by you and is profitable. And so we pray that it would profit us this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Okay, so it's been a month since we were in Micah back on January 17th. And so a little bit of review. Uh, does anybody remember at what, what other prophet is prophesying at the same time as Micah? Isaiah is, is prophesying at the same time. Isaiah was doing his work. Um, especially during uh, the, the king, uh, king Hezekiah's reign. And, and so, same time, God sends two prophets to the people of Israel to warn them to repent. Um, what do we remember some of the sins that they were committing uh, among, among many others? But we came up with a list last time, the sins that Israel was engaged in. Pretty much you can always say idolatry when I ask that question about the sins of Israel and, and Judah, right? They are worshiping other gods. And they are also practicing injustice. They, they are not concerned about justice and fairness and uh, the, um, you know, um, caring for the oppressed. And they're also profiteering, right? They're, they're making money off of their wicked ways, as we read about in verse 7 of the first chapter here. We read about their idols being smashed and burnt, images that he's going to tear down, and then they are collecting a harlot's earnings. And um, Israel is, at this time, being besieged, and Judah is watching it happen, right? Judah is watching it happen, and, and Isaiah and Micah are warning Judah, be careful, get ready, repent, so that the same thing doesn't happen to you as is happening in Israel. Um, chapter, chapters 1, 1 through 7, God will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. You remember that? We talked about that, that, that what, what was leading Israel and Judah into sin? What's that? Okay, they're doing that, but, but who is doing the leading of it? The big cities. Samaria and Jerusalem, right? The big cities. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria, right? That's the capital city of Israel. And what is the high place of Judah? The high place, using that term not in a positive way, right? What is this place where idol worship is happening? It's Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem where God had set his name, right? Where he, he said, put my temple there that my presence may always dwell with you. It's now just, it, it's now filled with idols. And so Samaria and Jerusalem, the leading cities of these two nations are leading this, the nation into uh, sin and judgment is coming. 
And now we get into the second section, and you notice, what do you notice about this section? What, what do we get a lot of? The second part that we just read. What do we get a lot of? I'm making you participate tonight because it will help you pay attention. A lot of lamenting. That's not the answer I'm looking for. Names. Names of what? Not people, places. Names of cities. Names of cities in Judah, in fact. And in fact, there's something going on here because they don't all seem to be names. At least we can't put them on a map. Some of these, some of these places seem to be... Um, they, they seem to be... Uh, his way of talking about the character of the people. And so, like Gath, that's a Philistine city. And notice what it says about Gath. It says, it says tell it not in Gath, weep not at all, right? What, what's the worst thing about the people of God going astray is when pagans laugh at them, when pagans delight in their downfall. And that's exactly what the Philistines would do. That's exactly what Gath would do. That's exactly... Um, the, the, that mocking laughter. But then, then the next name um, is beth le which means house of dust, right? And so at house of dust, roll yourself in the dust, he's saying. At this place of the dust, roll yourself in the dust. Uh, maybe it was a place I couldn't locate it on the map. Saphir means pleasantness. And um, pleasantness or beautiful. So go on your way, inhabitant of, of beautiful, in shameful nakedness, right? In nakedness. N uh, go on your way. Leave. Leave behind um, your beauty. Zanon means going out. The inhabitants of Zanon does not escape, right? And then Beth Ezel means house of removal, the lamentation of the house of removal, he will take from you its support. He's going to remove from you the supports that you've had, right? And then uh, Meroth means bitterness. Lachish is a city in Judah. Morasheth, Gath, what do we know about Morasheth? That's where the prophet's from. That's the prophet's hometown, right? Micah of Morasheth. So he's even prophesying to his own hometown. And Merishah means possession. Ajalom is a city in Judah. And so he's going through these, these cities of Judah and he's, he's pronouncing these woes. He's pronouncing uh, their sins. But let's not forget that it was the big cities that have spread their wickedness to the smaller cities. But the smaller cities have followed suit and have not resisted. Um, back to verse 8. We see a change there, right? 1 through 7 is this pronouncement of God's coming judgment. And then it's like we turn and the camera focuses on the prophet himself. And he gives this personal expression because of this, I must lament and wail. I must go barefoot and naked. I must make lament like the jackals and a mourning like the ostriches. For her, 
Her wound is incurable. Right? Think of the anguish of the prophet who's been sent by God, calling the people to repentance, expressing that phrase, her wound is incurable. For it has come to Judah, has reached the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. You can think of other laments in Scripture. Romans 9, the Apostle Paul laments, doesn't he? What does he lament in Romans 9? He laments, laments that his people have not come to worship the Messiah. They have not come to worship. And he says, I would that I would be cursed, that my, my fellow kinsmen would come to know Jesus Christ. I mean, think of that statement. That is the mind of Christ, right? That is the only way that could be said, is he, he would be willing to sacrifice himself, that is, if he could, uh, that his people would come to faith. What about Jesus? Think of Jesus' lament. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Right? He, he laments at the, the, the same city's hardness of heart. Prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet has come to them to warn them and they have not heeded it. And then Jesus comes, the last of the prophets, and they don't even recognize him. And Jesus laments and says that I wish, you know, I could have brought them to myself, but they would not even have that. And so even as the prophet announces God's judgment, he's grieving at the unbelief of those who are rebelling. That's humility on the, on the, uh, the prophet's part. Judah, I mean Jonah, think of Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go and announce anything. Because, why? Because he knew that the Lord might have mercy on those people. And the thought of that was sort of repugnant to him, right? And so he flees from his task. He goes away. Lord deals with him in an extraordinary way. Uh, if you're ever swallowed by a fish, you should probably start thinking, I've done something wrong. And repent. Right? And so, but, but here Micah is demonstrating the heart of a prophet in that He's announcing what God has told him to announce and yet grieving even while he announces this because in the, in his, the response is hardness of heart. Prophet doesn't add, you know, as a, as a mere mortal, his sort of, yeah, Lord, bring it on. Bring on your judgment. The apostles tried to do that, right? They were like, can we call on fire from heaven? And Jesus is like, you don't know what spirit you are of, right? But Micah here is, is demonstrating godliness and that he trembles before God. Even as he pronounces his judgment, he's, he's, he's grieving at the sinfulness of man. Um, the prophet or a prophet or any of us should never revel in unbelief. We should never take delight at all in anybody's unbelief, no matter how wicked and how opposed to you that person is. You should never revel in their unbelief, right? We may pray in ways for God to take vengeance upon his and our enemies, uh, 
but that's a different thing than just, you know, delighting in the facts, delighting in some sort of um, petty way that um, they're stuck in their unbelief. The prophet is not delighting in this. He is he's broken by the fact that his people are rejecting their one way of peace. And so it says he cries out like the jackals, and I don't know what sound ostriches make, but it must be a wailing. It must be something awkward and strange. But I think the point here is that it wasn't even sufficient for him to wail as a man. He, he became like an animal in, in his anguish, his, his wailing and um, his, his sadness. Um, I happened to see it. I don't know why this came to mind, but the Lord brought it to me. I happened to see an interview of um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Right? It's the 20th anniversary of his father's death. They were in the same race. His father dies. And he said, he's, he, said he, he went to the hospital. He walked into the ER, and they're working on him like right through the, the entrance of the ER. And he, he had already died. His dad had already died. And he said that there, there came out of his voice a sound that he couldn't describe, a wailing sound, just a, an exhalation of, of grief that was, was vocal that he couldn't describe. And I think of Micah in that sense. It, it's like an animal. It's not a sound that we would ever make when we're grieving that deeply for somebody. And he's grieving over his, his people. He's crying out like the animals. And so verse 3, we come back. We say, Gath, that's a Philistine city. When God judges his people for their sins, unbelievers laugh. Calvin on this says, hide, uh, hide this destruction from unbelievers because as soon as our Lord has executed his judgment against you, the wicked will laugh and blaspheme the name of God and make fun of you. Thus keep God's judgments against you silent. He's saying, um, I think of Ravi Zacharias, right, who for so long was on the, the circuit, uh, the Christian circuit, making his money doing Christian apologetics. And in the last, uh, he died recently, but in the last part of his life, it was revealed that he was... Um, uh, committing gross sexual sins, put it that way. And I just think of all those, you know, he's debating intellectuals at Harvard and Yale and Oxford and all these places, and, and, and then his sin is revealed, and they're all like, yep, what a fool, what a fool. He didn't even believe what he preached. And they just laugh and mock and they say, yeah, that's, that's Christians. That's what Christians do. They, they want to enforce their morality on others, and yet they won't even live by it themselves. Fools, hypocrites. What a joke. And, and that, that's um, all of his intellectual arguments, all of his sophistication, all of his education, all of his work blown apart by his life, right? 
And it is shameful. It's shameful for us because the pagans laugh at us and think that we're just like him. Now we go through this list of different places, right? And all of it is, you know, all of it is judgment. All of it is judgment that's coming on these places. Um, And the, what do we take from this? Well, first of all, look, he's, he's laid everything at the feet of the big cities. And yet Calvin, and Calvin made a big deal of that, right? In his commentary, Calvin makes a big deal of that. Big cities, what comes out of big cities is usually not that, that good. I think we could testify to that, that our big cities have, have uh, promoted and produced and, um, and sent out to the world things that we, would, um, we should be ashamed of. Perhaps we're not. But then, but then they're influential, right? They're influential and they take up the rest of the nation, right? As those big cities go, so go the nations. And um, Calvin says that, um, that these little cities are the green wood before the dry wood of Jerusalem, green wood, right, doesn't burn as quickly as dry wood, right? It's not as deeply involved in sin, and yet God's judgment is coming against them for their sin, but it's going to be like dry wood. It's going to, it's going to burn. Um, it's, it's not going to catch fire as quickly, but Jerusalem is going to burn up like that for her sins. She's dry wood. But I think, I think what we can take from this is no, no place in Judah is going to escape judgment. There's not a place in Judah that will escape judgment because they have rejected the Lord. Not a single place. Not these little towns set out from Jerusalem. These crossroads, even they will be taken up. Here's again what Calvin says From this passage, we need to glean a sound and useful lesson, for we think that whenever God indulges us, we have escaped his hand. And rather than seeing that God is guiding us toward repentance or granting us time and space in which to sort things out, we must use the occasion in order to harden our hearts, and thus we conclude that we are safe, that in general is how humanity abuses the patience and loving kindness of God. Remember the context. The prophet is sent to warn. Jerusalem has not yet been besieged, right? They're announcing coming judgment. And so because, and what Calvin is saying is because judgment hasn't yet come, the people conclude, well, we're good, right? Israel's falling, right? Look at their wickedness. Man, they've been terrible, but we've got, we're fine because judgment isn't yet here. And then Calvin goes on, he says, Yet on the other hand, if God singles us out first for chastisement, and in the meantime we observe that others are enjoying their ease, we murmur, Whoa, what is this? What's going on here? Are we more vile than these people over here or those over there? 
This is how we react. In any event, let us pay heed to this passage in which it is said that although at the present our Lord is restraining his judgment, we ought not remain asleep as if we had no need to worry about God's chastisements. In time, we shall all come before God. But if we escape God's judgment or God defers it, God is actually doing us a favor. But if we are punished first, Bear no envy toward those who enjoy the repose and prosperity. Their turn will come soon enough. Right? I mean, do you play this game in your head? Right? You see somebody being punished for their sin and you're like, you're proud about it? Or, or because you're not, you think, well, I'm doing pretty well. But it's really just God being patient with you. It's God forbearing with you. It's God, it's God hoping that before he comes in a hard way and judges you and disciplines you like a son, he's giving you all kinds of opportunity to repent. And I think that's the big, the big thing that comes out of this, this passage is when God warns us, we should repent. When God warns us, we should repent. Now, did, did Jerusalem and Judah repent? No, they did not. And God fulfilled his promises for them. He wiped them out. He spread those people out across the nations, right? He destroyed the temple and Jerusalem in his anger, right? But when God warns, when God sends you a prophet, so to speak, we should repent, um, what, is, what is God warning you about? Is God warning you about anything right now? Is God warning you about anything right now? Are you convicted about any of your sins? Is God warning you about those things? Has God given you maybe an example in Ravi Zacharias? Who's, is he warning you through Ravi? Is he saying to you, stop your sexual sin because it's going to damage the church and your leaven is going to leaven the whole lump just like his did. Right? Are you warned through examples like that? What about your conscience? Does your con- is your conscience active? Is it warning you? Is it saying that was bad, you should repent, you shouldn't have said that, why did you do that? Is it active? Is it warning you? Well, that is God's, God's patience towards you right? Using your conscience to warn you that you should repent. What about the word of God? Is the word of God warning you? Do you read it in that way? Do you come to it and say, okay, this is living and active, and what I just read seems really obscure and archaic and historical and and old, and so it doesn't really apply to me? Or do you read it and say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me how this passage is meant for me today, right now, right? What, what warnings are you receiving from the word? Are you receiving warnings when you read about, when you read in Ephesians about um, husbands loving their wives and wives respecting their husbands or um, being, having mouths filled with coarse jesting, right? Are you, are you, are you being convicted about that? Where is God warning you? Is he warning you through a friend? 
Sometimes our friends act like prophets to us. A friend says one thing to you, and maybe not even meant for you, but God uses that mouth to convict you of your sin. What about your husband or your wife? Is your husband or your wife acting as a warning to you? Are they rebuking you and saying things, um, convicting, uh, bringing convictions? Is that God's method of warning you? What about, um, <clears throat> I mean, it's funny how, how many things can, can warn us. Um, we could see a billboard that we interpret as, you know, a warning to us. There's so many ways. God, through his creation and God, through his providence, warns us, right? I think of the example of, of uh, I mean, I just, I think of the example of Calvin on his deathbed, the winds are blowing outside, and he said, well, something's going on here. And all the pastors around him are like, well, what? And he's like, I don't know, but something's going on here. And there was a battle of the Catholics against the Reformed, and the Reformed had won. And, and uh, in that case, those, those, those warnings were maybe warnings of coming difficulties. And he's reading the wind that way, not infallibly, right? He said, I don't know, but... And then it turns out that, that um, he's, he's reading providence in that way. He's reading calamity in a way as a warning. We're not supposed to do this. We're not allowed to do this as Reformed Christians today, right? Don't ever say that Hurricane Katrina was a judgment against the people of this land, right? Don't ever say that 9-11 was a judgment against this land. Don't ever see providence as a warning from God. That's absurd. That's all it is. God pushes about the clouds, right? He makes them go exactly where he had to have them go. And so we, don't, we maybe don't learn specific things, but we are warned by them. Of, and it's the forbearance of God that he would show forth these minor judgments before we all stand before him. Naked, unclothed, everything revealed. All the secrets and thoughts of every heart revealed before him. What are you reading that's warning you? Micah is coming to the people and he's warning them. And he's saying, look, look, this is coming. We have sinned in the same way as Israel. And what a blessing that God would send this prophet to warn them. Romans 2.4, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that he forbears, he's patient, he's long-suffering, and he doesn't just exile us instantly. But he warns us. He warns us through the pulpit, through the word, through our conscience, through, through um, random of, seemingly random events, right? Through uh, strange things that happen to us. You know, perhaps reflecting on that just a bit, perhaps the last year has been God's gentle rebuke to us so that the church might repent. Maybe that's what COVID is. Right, 500,000 dead is, is a gentle nudge to the church of this nation to repent. 
right? But instead, we, we've, we've turned it into something else, right? We've turned it into, as an opportunity to, to rail, right? And perhaps God is, is, saying, um, is saying repent, and he's forbearing to us. This has been a gentle judgment to us. Right? Instead, we're, we're caught up in conspiracy theories. We're caught up in, in denouncing government lies and corruption. We're, we, we think about the bankruptcy of the, the, the pagan mind and, and the futility of you know, postmodern ways. And we, you know, we wrap this all up into a ball. And meanwhile, we're not repenting. It's like everything's out there. Everything's out there, and our response to COVID is everything out there is bad, bad, bad. And God may be saying, you're bad. And so repent. Repent. And it's a gentle judgment of the Lord nudging us in that way. And so I think, I think Micah serves us this evening and serves us in that way that says says to us don't don't rest if there's semi peace right don't rest if if things are okay god is just being gentle with you that you might repent don't waste this time right and what a wonderful example it would be for us to show to the world not just that we're sophisticated about government systems and sophisticated about conspiracy theories, but that we are afraid of God. We're afraid of him. We're afraid of his judgments. We're afraid of his full wrath being poured out. And we care about our neighbors in that. We actually care and want to call the nations to repentance. We want to say to them, come find Jesus so that you might escape the wrath that is assuredly coming. This is just a tiny taste, and so repent along with us. Repent along with us so that we might, so that we might, might properly honor God. And yet, we're not... That is not, in my judgment, that is not what the, the church is saying today. Right? God is going to come in judgment. Let's repent and show what repentance looks like to the world. Right? The pagans are not going to show us how to repent. The pagans are not going to show us how to fear God. It's only Christians who can show forth the fear of God. Right? And so that is, that is our main task. They should see us praying. They should see us praying for them. They should see us on our knees repenting of our sexual sins. Right? Repenting of our, our, all of our sins. Right? As an example to them. As an example of the fear of the Lord. Right? And Judah is going to be wiped out because they refuse to fear God and they just, they just love their idols. They loved those wooden idols. They loved all those idols that would just cave and let them do exactly what they wanted to do. And God saw it and God hated it. And so he destroyed them. Right? Is that, is that, um, is that even a possibility? 
for the nations of the world today? Does God observe the nations of the world today? And is he grieved by entire nations? Does he judge nations still? Right? Does, he, does he look, does he see his people in the midst of those nations and, and then somehow say, well, if, uh, if there's a certain percentage of Christians in this nation, I won't pour out my judgment upon them. No, no, he, it's not a percentage. He wants to see humble hearts. He wants to see um, fear of him. He wants to see us bowing before him. And so let's, let's, not, let's not lose this opportunity. When we talk about COVID, the next time you have a conversation about COVID, try to talk about the fear of God and repentance rather than a democratic conspiracy. Just try Try to do it once and see if it doesn't bear fruit in your own heart and in the heart of those people who are listening. Perhaps this is God's judgment and it's a gentle judgment and he's saying, he's warning us. He's warning us to live righteously, to come to his son, to bow the knees before his son. And so let's use the words of Micah as he's doing this to these cities of Judah as an example of that. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we praise your name. You are glorious. You are holy. You are righteous. You do all things perfectly. There is no shifting shadow with you. You are high and lifted up. Your glory fills the universe. And Father, we are just dust. We are, we are weak little creatures. And Father, we're, we're so filled with pride. We're so filled with pride that when we receive your constant warnings, we shun them. We think that we know better than, than the, the words that are inspired in scripture and the words of the prophets. We think we know a better route. And Father, I pray that, that you would break us of that foolishness, of that pride. I pray that we would fear you, that we would heed the warnings that come to us, and that we would rejoice that we have, we have heard warnings, and that you, through your Son, have withheld your judgment. Actually, you poured your judgment out upon him in our place. So, Father, I pray that we would be, we would be sober-minded, that we would heed your warnings, that we would be able to hear and listen and be sensitive to the motions of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.